Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Trinity Church in Carryville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, please visit our website, trinity901.com. So there was a stretch in college where, and shortly afterwards, where I played racquetball. I loved it. It was so much fun. One of my closest friends at Sanford, he and I played together three, sometimes four times a week. In our senior year, we got word, actually from the YMCA in Birmingham, that the number one player in the United States was coming to give a clinic. And so we knew this was something that we needed to go to. We wanted to get better. We wanted to learn more about the game of racquetball, and so we went. It wasn't a big crowd. Racquetball is not a very popular sport. And when he was done with his clinic, he said, would you guys, pointing to me and my friend, would you like to play me? (laughs) The number one player in America, I think he was in the top 25 in the world. And I said, absolutely. So I entered the racquetball courts and I had visions of grandeur. I knew I could not beat him. But my goal was to score a few points to show my ability and my skill to get a pat on the back from this guy and to come out of the racquetball court with my friend realizing he had to play him and he had to live up to my skill set, my ability. So here's what happened. I got down in the position. He got ready to serve. I've kind of thought what he was going to do and how I was going to defend it and return it. I would love to tell you I scored a point. I would love to tell you that I scored a few points, but here's the truth of the matter. I never returned his serve. I could not return this man's serve. He kept it this high off the ground the entire game. It was the most incredible thing I had ever seen. I realized quickly he was a pro and I was barely an amateur. And I walked out of that racquetball court with my head held up. I had been defeated. I had been beaten. I had been crushed. I had been humiliated. Some of the people who came to the clinic actually stayed to watch him play me embarrassed. And I walk out and my friend's standing there and he looks at me and he says, Hunter, I can't even think of anything good to say. That was awful. And I went and sat down and to make matters worse, my friend was able to return one serve. And so I just sat there in complete and utter defeat. So when we come to our text This morning, we see the humiliation of Jesus. We see the suffering of Jesus. To the world, it looks like we see the defeat of Jesus. And amidst all of this, the hitting and the spitting and the torture, Mark is telling us that there is good news here. That there is good news. Let us pray. Lord God, thank you for this passage. Thank you for our King Jesus. Lord, 
apply this to our lives, use it in our hearts, motivate us, and change us. And forgive the one who speaks, for my sins are great. May Trinity hear you and you only this morning. Amen. So there's two things we're going to look at in our passage. First is the humiliation and the suffering of King Jesus. The second is the crucifixion of King Jesus. So let's begin with the humiliation and the suffering. We have been working our way incrementally through the Gospel of Mark. And we have been learning all along the way that Jesus is going to face a moment of difficulty, that Jesus is going to face a moment of suffering. We know that this is coming because He is headed to the cross. This is King Jesus' darkest hour. Think about what He had to endure. Think about what He had to go through. They give Him a purple cloak and a crown of thorns. Stripped of His clothes, humiliated, mocked with this purple robe, and then mocked with the crown of thorns, which is also unbelievably painful. They're they're making fun of Him. They're deriding Him. They spit on Him. When we read that, sometimes the full effect of that is hard to grasp unless you have been spit on. I remember my closest friend in high school were playing football and he was African American and he was tackled. First game of the year, first season at our school, he's tackled and this guy jumps up and he says something very racist to him. And then he spits on him. And I remember running to his defense. I remember helping him up. After the game, we were talking, and he said, you know, his words didn't bother me that much because I've heard them before. But spitting on me was something else. I will never forget that. I felt dehumanized. And so here is Jesus, our King, the Creator of the universe, being spit on by the Roman guards, calling Him in mocking tone, although it was very, it was a great bit of irony in this, the King of the Jews. You failure, you loser, you King of the Jews. You're a nothing. And so why is Jesus going through this? Why is He taking this upon Himself? The the answer is quite simple. It's because of us. That Jesus loves us dearly. He understands the mission that the Father has sent Him to accomplish, which is our salvation, and He knows that in order to go to the cross, in order to fulfill all the promises of the covenant, that He must endure this humiliation and this suffering on our behalf. He's doing this for us. It is not a stretch to say, as the one who 
has loved us since the beginning of the world. It is no stretch to say that as the spit hits his face, as the thorns pierce his head, that he is thinking of me and he is thinking of you. That he's thinking of all of God's people that will come into the presence of the Lord forever. That he is providing atonement for them for us, that we are on His mind. This is what He's come to do. He's come to bring salvation to God's children. This suffering, this humiliation, the cross, the crucifixion, this is where the river of our sin empties into an ocean of God's love. The cross is where our sin flows into this ocean of grace and it is overwhelmed. This is, his, this is who Jesus is. He understands what He has come to do and He understands who He has come to do it for. And so He is willing to undergo, undergo this treatment. He is willing to un- endure this because of that cross. The cross that is set before Him. So in His darkest hour, He's still King Jesus. He's going through this purposefully thinking of us. And in our darkest hour, He is our King. We can take great comfort from the fact that In His darkest hour, He remained the King of the universe. And through His crucifixion and through His resurrection, He ascends to the right hand of God the Father where He rules in power and in might and in authority forever. That's where Jesus is. And so when we go through the valley, when we endure our darkest hour, when we are humiliated, when we are shamed, when we face challenges and difficulties, we know He's been there as King and He is still our King. So there's a great verse in the Old Testament that reminds us of this. If you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1-4. through Now remember, Isaiah is a prophet who is calling Israel to repentance. Isaiah is a prophet who has told Israel that God has not forgotten them and that God is going to save them through the work of a suffering servant. A suffering servant that we see in our chapter this morning in Mark 15. But let's look at what Isaiah says in chapter 43 verses 1 through 4. But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, love that, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. 
I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you, I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. That when we go through the fire and when we go through the waters, when we go through the darkest of valleys, when we are experiencing suffering and humiliation and difficulties like Jesus, we come to the words of Isaiah and we are reminded that because of Jesus, we will not be burned, we will not drown. God has redeemed us. God has redeemed us. I have called you by name. You are mine. You are mine. One of the greatest moments of my life. And providentially speaking, I know that it was probably accidental. But when Avery, my daughter, was born, the nurse came and handed her to me. And I was, of course, frozen. And the nurse said, say her name. And I said, hello, Avery. And immediately, like that, her eyes cut and she looked up at me. And every time I come to this passage in Isaiah and I hear the Lord say, I've called you by name, you are mine. I go back to that hospital in Jackson, Mississippi and I go back to that moment and I go back to those brown eyes looking up at me. We belong to the Lord. We are His children. He has placed His love upon us. We are going to have problems. We are going to have issues. We are going to have stress and strains. We're going to deal with depression. Life is hard and challenging in this, in this dreary, sinful, broken world. But because of Jesus, we can cling to these words in Isaiah 43 where God says, I will be with you no matter what. It's a word that I need to hear this morning. That He is with me every single step of the way because Jesus is our King. And notice in the last part of this, verse 4, this is very interesting. This is the prophet Isaiah speaking years before the appearance of Jesus in Galilee. The one who has prophesied about the suffering servant. He's reminding Israel of God's love for them. He's calling them back to repentance. And he says, because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you, I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Yes. Yes. You see, when the Roman guards are spitting on him and they're hitting him and they're mocking him, this prophecy is coming to fruition. The Lord is not simply giving men. He's giving His Son. 
I'm going to make this right. I am going to change everything. I am going to renew the universe. I am going to bring salvation. I am going to give grace. And I'm going to do it through my Son who I will exchange for you. God knows how to encourage us with His Word through our King. Secondly, I want us to look at His crucifixion. And, you know, one of the privileges of being a minister is you get to work through the passage week in and week out. And sometimes you see things that you've never seen before, but it doesn't preach, if that makes sense. But sometimes you see things that you cannot wait to bring to everyone else. Because I've never noticed this before. And it was, it was encouraging. It was enlightening to me. So we've been working our way through the Gospel of Mark, as I said previously. And Mark has been trying to tell his audience in Rome Jewish and Gentile, that Jesus is the Messiah, that He is the Son of Man and He is the Son of God, that the Father has sent the Son in order to redeem us from sin and from misery and from death. That the Messiah has come to establish the kingdom, and we'll learn later on in the New Testament that the kingdom will come in its fullness one day but that Jesus has come to bring about the kingdom, His reign and rule, which will change everything and everyone forever. And so He has been all along the path showing us that Jesus is not only this Redeemer and not only this Messiah, but He is a prophet and He is a priest and He is a king. That He is the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. That He is bringing together the Gentiles and the Israelites into a new Israel and that He will be the head of the church. Subtle clues throughout the Gospel of Mark. But He does something very interesting in this, this passage about the crucifixion. He subtly helps His readers and us see that Jesus is the final prophet, the final priest, and the final king. Now I want you to notice this. Look at verses 29 through 30. And those who passed by derided Him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha! You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So through the humiliating words, Mark is showing us that Jesus is the prophet. He's showing his readers that Jesus is the prophet because what happened? Well, he was resurrected in three days. He not only came down from the cross, he came out of the tomb. And Jesus is the prophet who prophesied that when He brings His kingdom, 
that there will no longer be a need for sacrifices in the temple. That He is the ultimate and the final sacrifice. That He is the Redeemer of God's people. He is the prophet who has spoken the final words. And through the resurrection, you see this come to fulfillment. So Mark is not said, hey, here is the final prophet. He is giving you the clue in the text. He's the one who prophesied about his own resurrection and what that would mean. And here you are now in Rome, gathered together, and some of you have seen his resurrected body. Some of you have seen the scars. Some of you have talked to Him. And the rest of you know people who've experienced this. Our great prophet. And then in verse 31, So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked Him to one another saying, He saved others, He cannot save Himself. And Mark is saying, you want to bet? Because He is the final priest. His life on the cross is an atonement for our sins. We know in the Old Testament as God is working out His covenants with His people, He tells them that I am going to have to save you. You cannot save yourself. You cannot possibly be obedient to the covenant laws. You are sinful through and through and you are disobedient, you cannot be good enough in order to save yourself. I am making a promise to you, I am covenanting with you, that I will redeem you, I will save you, I will place my love upon my covenant people. You can't do it. And so when Jesus comes, that is God coming to save us from sin and from death and from misery. And so He is the final priest. He offers the final sacrifice. His life. And Mark is giving us this clue in verse 31. Do you want to know how great this carpenter from Nazareth is? Do you want to know how wonderful this rabbinical teacher is? Well, He is the final prophet. He is the final priest. That's how outstanding He is. He is all you need for life abundantly. And then 32. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Now they are mocking Him. But in their words of derision, we see the truth. He is the Christ. He is the King of Israel. He is the one who has obeyed God perfectly. He is the one who has kept covenant. He is the one who is atoning for our sins. He is the final Davidic Son that brings completion and establishes the kingdom of God. You bet. See and believe. That's what Mark is saying to us. Here is the final prophet. Here is the final priest. Here is the final king. And he is telling his audience in Rome and he's telling us today as this gospel comes to its conclusion, as it comes to near the end, see and believe. Life is too short 
to not examine who Jesus is as prophet, priest, and king. And so this morning, this final king has set his table before you. And this is not the final table because it's just a little bit of wine and it's just a little bit of bread. But what we are doing is we are coming to the table as God's people and we are thinking about the day when we will dine at the banquet table with our prophet, priest, and king. And that day there will be no more death and there will be no more sin and there will be no more depression and there will be no more struggles and there will be no more problems. There will no, be no longer in, any issues like racism. That day, there will only be Jesus. And we get a taste of that day right here, right now. Let's pray. Our Lord, our God, our King, our great prophet, our great priest, we thank you for speaking to us through your word. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for accepting us and changing us and suffering for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.